Bass and my the MC Drape tech on the beat Let's go, y'all Northwest and let's go Check it out, y'all Hey, hey I said they think Brave are looking at AKA NGL His show is the truth Like NGL That means he's not gonna lie And he's clever when he speaks Plus he runs unplugged As the editor-in-chief Special guests on this show Have gotten exposure Discuss the sports, music, and popular culture Streetwear And don't forget the entrepreneurs Cause when it comes to Welcome back to the GL Review. Thanks to freestyle rapping legend Sam I Am The MC for that awesome intro theme. You can follow along with his work at Sam I Am The MC on Twitter and Instagram. For now, though, I'm Nathan Graber-Lipperman, creator and editor-in-chief of Unplugged, as well as the CEO of Powder Blue Media, our media startup ran out of Northwestern's very own incubator, The Garage. Every Wednesday, I bring you guest interviews and pop culture panelists, as well as covering some of my more eclectic interests, such as streetwear, entrepreneurship, and ultimate frisbee. Now, last week, I told you all about the grueling process of Wildfire, the pre-accelerator program we're participating in through the garage. It opened up a little toward the end of the week. Now, having a four-day, 4th of July weekend will do that, but still, I mean, I was getting a real taste of the real world, working 12-hour days, trying to fit in a quick lift, getting home at 9 p.m. and saying, wait a minute, I still have to cook for myself. But of course, that's what ramen is for. Sorry, mom, but I, I mean, come on, like five packs for $1. That's just massive for the brand. But to that point, man, yeah, I, I hate using the term busy because let's face it, I think it's a weak excuse. We're never busy. It's just that we're picking and choosing what we want to prioritize our time on. Like if I can't go see a movie because I'm working on an article, that didn't mean I was busy. It meant that I chose to do the article over the movie, which is okay. That's just what I prioritize. But with all that being said still, man, I'm feeling kind of busy. <laughs> I'm doing the real world person thing where I'm hitting the gym at 7 a.m. Then going to shower before working a 12-hour day. It can be brutal, man. Just try to journal and read, throw the disc around even. There's only so much time of the day, right? But I mean, I think I've broached the idea of hustle porn before on this podcast. And I really do believe in it as a real-life legitimate problem. So coming back to that four-day weekend, there were two routes I was kind of approaching. I could either take the workaholic route, catching up on things like accounting for the business, writing a couple articles, mass emailing potential customers, or I could enjoy myself. I could hang out, revel in the beautiful weather, even attend RibFest with my roommate. Yep, RibFest, Chicago, it's a thing. Vendors roll up and cook off to determine who makes the best ribs. We both took the vendor from Austin, who ended up taking home the hardware anyway. But yeah, after that, we decided to just walk up Lake Michigan back to campus from uptown for like an hour or two, because why not? The weather was beautiful. We got to explore a little bit. And when we hit Loyola Chicago's campus, we took a bus back to campus. Then on Sunday, we went to Lincoln Park to watch the World Cup game between the U.S. and the Netherlands with thousands of other fans, which was awesome. This was an official U.S. soccer watch party. They even showed Lincoln Park on the broadcast, and it was just a really cool event that even my guy Clint Dempsey pulled through. He started USA Chant alongside his son, which was definitely a fun time. But anyway, I mean, I say all this because it's really easy to get wrapped up in your venture when you're incredibly passionate about it. And while I'm a big advocate of putting in the work, sometimes it's just kind of about addition by subtraction. It's about taking the time to enjoy yourself because that'll pay dividends in your work product. 
It's about basking in the warm summer weather before it all goes to shit in four months. Of course, this defense of the route I chose definitely won't hold up in front of an accountant when he asks, so why didn't you ever keep track of anything at all? Anyway, as always, be sure to follow me on Twitter at ByNatGL. Follow the website at Unplugged, that's U-N-P-L-U-G-G underscore D, and log on at up.powderbluemedia.com. Some great articles up there right now about one of them, why we should stop and appreciate the great run by Game of Thrones and not get swept up in the binge-watching populace. The article comes to you from Bryce Phillips, a new addition to the team. Also, Ethan Four wrote on the Minnesota Twins and how they're the best storyline in baseball. Finally, you can expect a couple of pieces from me in the very near future, as well as What's Up every Tuesday and Thursday. Also, Jeremy Larkin's new podcast on the student-athlete lifestyle, Whistles Every Friday. If you haven't checked out that first episode, make sure to go give it a listen. It's quick, it's fun, and I had a great time working on it with them. But anyway, that's besides the point. Now, I talk to senior creative Kareem Nirani on a wild week in NBA free agency. All right, we're taping this Tuesday evening, July 9th. I'm here with vaunted panelist Kareem Nirani. Kareem, how's it going? I like your I like your vaunted panelist. I'm doing pretty good. How about you, Nate? I'm I'm positive at the moment. It's been a saga to get Wi-Fi in my apartment, as you are very well aware of. Kareem's been working on Unplugged for these last two weeks with the Garages Accelerator program right alongside me. And he's heard all about the Wi-Fi saga, haven't you? I know. It's, like, ridiculous. Like, it's, like, you don't even... Uh, when I'm at home, I just don't even notice the Wi-Fi. It's it's one of these things, yeah. like, in the 21st century. Just And also, we ran up our phone. Uh, we, we ran out of data for our phones because my brother was traveling across the country for a month and oh. used up a ton of data. So just, like, not to have that and not have access to all the breaking nba news and whatnot you know it's, it's just get unlimited so t-mobile has unlimited plans but here's the thing here's the logic ready the the amount we pay when we go over our current plan mm-hmm. is less than the cost of unlimited every month that's fair that's fair i, I would say unlimited's not that much though yeah, but I mean, we can debate the semantics of <laughs> phone coverage later on. But I mean, I was alluding to that NBA coverage, that great stuff. Oh, anyway, I didn't even answer why I'm excited. I'm cautiously optimistic because apparently we're going to have Wi-Fi tonight. So uh, that also changes how much I get to sleep or not, because um, if we don't have Wi-Fi at home, I have to wake up really early to come here all night and Netflix upload it all. All, yeah. all night Netflix binge. It's going to be crazy, man. <laughs> but um, yeah, we're here to talk about something you do need a Wi-Fi connection for, keeping up with NBA free agency. And I'm just going to start this off posing the question, Kareem. You're a huge NBA guy. Is NBA free agency right now, is the NBA offseason a bigger storyline and more captivating than the on-game product itself? You can take that however you want. Just go with it. I mean, I just, I just view it as Hollywood. Like, it's a whole... The gossip industry is a whole industry of itself. Like you look at all these TMZ and all these other like publications that just like post constantly on just like gossip, who's dating what, who's doing this or that. Um, so I, I would say like it's it's a whole nother, it targets a whole nother audience in and of itself, like NBA free agency and trades and all of that stuff. So it's, it's definitely, I would say it's good for a league. Like every time you can expose yourself 
to your target audience over and over again, that's great marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at a certain sense, like I, I noticed people complaining during the finals and I think that's, that's a little valid that like, th- this is why free agency happens. Like you want to be at that stage and like n- everyone was just speculating on Anthony Davis and Kawhi and Durant. Mm-hmm. It's like, it sort of clouded the end product, which was, which was, um, kind of troubling, but at the same time, I think it's overall good for the league. Right. And I, I totally agree with that sentiment. Um, you know, it's, as I said, Tuesday afternoon slash night right now, I'm actually working on a piece that I'm going to be releasing tomorrow morning that kind of, uh, uh, you know, summarizes my well-formulated ideas a little bit better, but like, I mean, I agree with it. It's just at what point in my mind, it's like, first of all, as you said, yes, it's great marketing for the NBA, right? It's phenomenal. The fact that we're all talking about it, NBA hashtag NBA Twitter is a thing. Um, the fact that the NBA has become a 24-7 league, maybe not of the likes of the NFL so much in terms of like, you know, dollar revenue and eyeballs, but in terms of just like uh, internet sensationalism and just talk about it, it seems like it's reached that level. Um, but where I'm kind of at is what you talked about with the finals. Like we just had one of the best finals in recent memory, maybe in all of memory, just an absolutely captivating run and yet we're talking about where Kawhi goes next while he's in the midst of this run. It's like, at what point is there even a point to the Woj bombs? At what point is it just all we care about are who's going where next, but like we don't really care about where they go next and what happens. It's more about where they go next and then where they go after that, you know? Like, is that like kind of the future? I mean, I, w- I would add one thing that is positive to this whole thing of this whole player empowerment and movement era is that it's creating parity like Kawhi mm-hmm. is moving from Toronto to LA the Clippers are now relevant the Nets are now relevant like all this player movement and the way that like if LeBron James goes to Miami he depletes their assets all their talent and then he goes to another place he goes to Cleveland wins them a championship it's it's all this player movement I I, I get this whole sentiment that like oh it's clouding the end product but it's also doing so much good for the league because player movement and player empowerment is creating this equality within the league and i think everyone's happy with the outcome i would say by the end of free agency like you have probably eight or nine teams that that are in contention that were probably not in contention when free agency started so i think i think everyone's pretty happy with how these last four weeks have played out or three weeks yeah Yeah, I mean, even to that point, you mentioned like players leaving a team like LeBron and uh, that changing and the futures of multiple teams and creating more parity. I mean, I think there's no better example of that than the Pelicans, right? Like, I mean, they happened upon one of the best prospects of a generation in Anthony Davis. He had some great runs, but they were never really truly able to put it together. And he moves on. And in the end, like they were able to get some compensation. Now I know this is a little different cause he wasn't a free agent and he was traded, but I mean, it's kind of all in the same bucket now in my mind, the trades and the free agency picks because you know, like Paul George literally just forced himself out of Oklahoma city a year after he made a five part documentary or whatever it was on ESPN saying why he wanted to be in Oklahoma city. So, I mean, look, there's a lot of topics to talk about with free agency, but let's start there. Let's look at the thunder. Um, What'd you make of that whole bombshell move? The fact that 
Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, of all people, were meeting behind the scenes in the shadows, ultimately planning a super team up in L.A. with the Clippers. I mean, what'd you make of that when you first saw that? Um, I, w- I would say my takeaways, even even from that situation and the Durant situation with uh, him going to the Nets, it, it it tells us so much about these players. Because I wrote a piece like about like three or four months ago about Durant and how his free agency decision would be so insightful about like what makes him tick. I I would say like okay, we can't figure out to. Um, very like great granularity like oh who is kevin durant what does he want but i think you got a little bit more insight with i'll take durant specifically right now and then i'll go to Kawhi. but with durant specifically he wanted the stories this narrative is he wanted friendship that he never got that kinship this was a story in the athletic with curry when he was when he was coming to the warriors he was hoping for that kinship he he had a connection with draymond green he thought he could develop something with Curry, who was another great player of his status, but it was never really there because Curry's a family man, and that team had already bonded during their first championship run, and, and it felt like that was their culminating experience, and everything after was just the icing on the cake. So Durant's really looking for that kinship with someone, and that's that's the overwhelming narrative right now is that's why he went to Brooklyn. Um, as far as Kawhi, it tells us, he wants to be the guy. He, from a basketball standpoint, LA the Lakers probably make more sense right now because you go you go to the Lakers, you you win. You're the favorites. Like if you have the over under, like Avis, like the Lakers, the Lakers would probably have like two and a half titles right now. Like that would be the over under, and and his his career could end, and he could end up like topping Jordan potentially if he went to the Lakers. But since he went to the Clippers, he's still probably the favorite right now on paper just because that Clippers team is so deep. But he he chose to be the guy, and he chose to one-up the Lakers, and he wanted to be in Southern California. That's, those are the key takeaways for me for the Kawhi Leonard situation. And, and going into free agency, we didn't know that. We didn't know if those things mattered to him, but now we know it, it apparently do. It's funny how... Uh conversation starter about Paul George automatically turns to Durant and Kawhi because that's all we want to talk about, yeah. right? <laughs> that's just this whole free agency. Yeah. I'm, that's not a slight. I'm just saying it's yeah. funny, right? It's, like it's, that's what tends to happen. I mean, it's it, they're they're the biggest stars out there. Right, absolutely. It's like the one of the biggest storylines. The other storyline is like the little brother like overtaking the big brother and in the Nets and the Clippers, but the other big storylines are Kawhi and Durant. Like you got to know so much more about them. But to answer your question initially about Paul George, um, this this is why small market teams can't get upset or or a team that has a star forces they that forces his way out this offseason can't get upset is because they got such a massive return for Paul George, like seven. Mm-hmm. Five five unprotected picks, technically four because that last Miami pick is is um, protected, like I think lottery protected. But and then two pick swaps, Gallinari and Shea Gilgis Alexander, who are two assets. Like you can flip Gallinari on an expiring contract for anyone in the league, and you could probably get back one or two more first round picks. And Shea Gilgis Alexander is like one of the best young assets in the league right now. I, I would say he's probably on par with like a Brandon Ingram or a Jalen Brown. Um, so it they, they got an overwhelming haul because the Clippers were forced into that situation. Like they were they were pressured. It was it was kind of like the inverse. 
like it didn't really feel like the the thunder lost anything like they 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 were probably celebrating in the front office because that's such an overwhelming haul for a team that was capped out and had nowhere else to go and was just looking to shed, shed salary. You know what's so tough about this Thunder situation, though, is, I mean, you look at the last decade, right? I think the stat floated up. They're the second most winningest team of the decade. Mm-hmm. You have Harden gone, obviously, via trade in 2013. 20, yeah, 2013, I think. Sometime around then, 2012, 2013. Uh, you have Durant leaving in 2016, 17, whatever. Um, and now Westbrook's on his way out. So, I mean, they landed Paul George from a ballsy trade, but those three guys they drafted, they hit on those three guys. And what's tough for me, it's like on paper, I 100% agree. It was an absolutely great haul. They're in a tough position. It's just like, who's to say, I mean, take like, take the Hornets, look at all the Hornets recent draft picks, you know, like. Who have the Hornets picked in the last five years that you say that's a guy you build around? Bridges? Question mark. It's it's, it's a bunch of promising prospects, but no one. But like Malik Monk. There's a, there's a level of intrigue around there, but I see, I see what you're saying. So it's just like yes, the Thunder set themselves up well. I'll always respect Sam Presti and like Gilgis Alexander will be exciting, but just to go from everything they had to now. All three of those big names are gone, along with Paul George, who really evolved last year and became an MVP caliber player. And it's just it's just tough as a franchise, in my mind. Um, I, I, I don't know, just like, especially as I mentioned, Paul George just forcing himself out the way he did. I will say the one thing that you can't, um, uh, that you can't deny about Sam Presti is like, is he could he, one he drafted all those players so even if he traded them he ended up drafting them and two he has had some incredible trade flips like if you look at the you see the end result now of Gallo Shea Gilgis Alexander and and seven first round picks but that started off as Serge Ibaka Serge mm-hmm. Ibaka turned into Victor mm-hmm. Oladipo and Sabonis which turned into Paul George which turned into that massive haul so if you just look at it from Tan Presti turned Ibaka into all of that in three years. Like, that's pretty incredible. So, yes, he lost all those stars, but he got a insane haul for Paul George, and he also drafted all of those players. And he was he was clearly a really good guy in recognizing talent at the draft, and that's what makes this situation so promising. Is now they have an incredible number of draft picks for him to recreate that whole thing in maybe a better way. Here's here's the question for me that I was trying to think of. What was I trying to say before? And then I lost it. But this Thunder team obviously proved they couldn't win over 50 games with the Paul George Westbrook pairing. I'll be, you know, two-year sample size. George had the injury this year. Um, but, I mean, we were looking at the West, and yeah, the Lakers had AD now. But, like... Were the were the Thunder not a legitimate contender next year? Like I, I like who who are the favorites? Like the Rockets? Like Rockets Thunder? Like would you favor the Rockets? Like I, I don't know. Like I tend to think like year three of George Westbrook might have been something. No, 
I would say there there was some intrigue because Paul George, he he was injured at the end of last season. He he underwent like two soldiers, so, soldiers, and surgeries. they dropped off a lot. I mean, they were like a top four seed, right? They they were, and their defense was incredible, and they didn't even have Roberson back, who who could be a starting caliber player for them. But it, they that that team had reached its potential to some some degree because. It didn't have much shooting. They didn't have a way to get better, and their and their owner was not willing to pay a luxury tax. So they would have to get rid of Stephen Adams or right. Dennis Schroeder. I don't even know if they could get rid of Dennis Schroeder because that would take a pick or two in its own. So they were only going to get worse from this point. I, I get the the chirps that oh Paul George was injured. Like they could have ran it ran it back, but there was already discontent there, and it your owner didn't want to play the luxury tax and like you saw you saw it again with milwaukee like they lost arguably the, brogdon they all like arguably the second or third best player in the playoffs because the owner wasn't willing to play play the luxury tax so that their their team had reached its limit to some degree yeah and i i know you mentioned with the clippers it's like as of right now that clippers team with george and Kawhi, i i think they deserve to be the favorites due to their current depth as well Versus like the Lakers, who we'll get into a little bit. But it is interesting. I, I, I didn't really touch on before you brought up Kawhi and how this said so much about his decision. Because um, like if you went to the Lakers, it wouldn't have depleted any of their assets. You know, not that they had many assets, but it would have just been a money thing. Versus the Clippers, it's like in order to force Paul George there, they had to get rid of all of those assets. So it was an interesting calculated move by Kawhi where he really like, hold his power i guess we're like he kind of weakened the team to a degree now like obviously in the net is no they are not weakened they're so much better and uh credit to jerry west and all those decision makers for pulling the plug but sorry not pulling the plug making the decision you know yeah. i feel like pulling the plug would insinuate they're gonna like lose but um i mean the one last thing before we move on to some other topics is uh, the the loser out of this whole trade. And the obvious loser in my mind is Russell Westbrook. And I was kind of talking to you before we started the podcast, but I kind of feel like Russell Westbrook's narrative has gone from, holy crap, he just, the mainstream narrative was, holy crap, he did something that hasn't been done in 50 years or whatever. He did the triple-double record. And then the basketball analytics nerds were in the corner saying, well, actually, he wasn't very efficient. James Harden should have won the MVP. I don't know. Um, which I kind of fell in that camp, but you know, I digress. He did something amazing. Now, two years later, he's done it twice more. And now we're hating on him for it. He had, albeit he had one of the worst shooting seasons of all time last year, but still, I mean, he showed he was willing to relinquish some control. Um, it's just the big thing with him is it's like, he has this humongous contract. He's 31. He has this aggressive playing style. And yet I still feel like we're undervaluing Russell Westbrook. Do you feel that way at all? I mean, it's, it's sort of like this situation when LeBron first left Miami and everyone was undervaluing Dwayne Wade. But the whole idea is that his play athletically, at least has been tapering off a bit by bit each season for the past three years since he won MVP. And he's taken such enormous amount of punishment, just like the intensity with which he plays it nine in, night in and night out. Like, there's a reason like LeBron James doesn't doesn't play that way. It's it's not really sustainable for a long career. It it has shown to break down superstars such as 
like it did Dwayne Wade. Like his his career was cut off probably like three or four years too short because he went to the pit and he took a lot of punishment. It, it it garners a lot of respect from players around the league. Like if you would poll players, like I would say Russ, Russell Westbrook and Dwayne Wade were some of were some of the most respected players in the league. But it he he just does not have a sustainable playing style. And if you're a team, you do not want to be on the bad end of that contract because that uh, contract goes up so so rapidly. And it on those last two years, you're going to be paying him next to like 50 million a year which which is it which is a too big of a risk unless you're certain teams that that can afford to take the swing i think there are there are certain teams where it makes sense for them to take a swing like the lakers no I, I, I don't <laughs> who, who do you think will take the swing because like even the knicks are seem to be out of the running by now the, the Knicks, their their fan base would just go absolutely insane. Shout out to my guy Andrew Golden, but <laughs> in a good way or a bad way? In a bad way, like it, Russell Westbrook is just not the guy you want on a rebuilding team. Like you, he's, if they did it, it would be counterintuitive to everything they've been saying of late. Yeah, it would, everything that franchise has been promising. Where in reality, you know, behind the scenes, like they would have loved to nail some big fish this summer. But once they didn't, now they're kind of like the propaganda is. Well, we're building this young team, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it's it would it would be like the, the Chicago Bulls when they signed Wade and Rondo, and they were saying like, "Oh, we're rebuilding." Like it just made zero sense. So would Westbrook to the Knicks. It would be incredible to watch him night in night out in in Madison Square Garden, but it w- it would not make much sense basketball wise because he doesn't fit their timeline. A team like. The, the heat, it, it makes tons of sense. And you see them as like the number one favorite to, to land him because they just landed Jimmy Butler and that accelerates their timeline. And they have a bunch of, frankly, overpaid guys who you could probably flip to Fa- Sam Presti and say, here, you can get off Westbrook's money sooner and maybe we throw in like a Justice Winslow. And that and that makes it work. So if you're, if you're the heat... It, it makes tons of sense. Maybe, maybe even if you're Charlotte, like you have a bunch of bad contracts. Yeah. It's Michael Jordan. It, Russell Westbrook is a part of the Jordan brand. It, it might just make sense to just garner a bunch of people because you really haven't had that much excitement in years. I mean, Kemba was exciting, and I think it, it would be kind of weird to not pay Kemba but then pay Russell Westbrook, but you would have to look at it from the standpoint as they're shedding those contracts, they're shedding... Bismack Biombo and Nick Batum and not going into a luxury tax. Whereas with Kemba, you would have had to go into a luxury tax if you paid him. Kemba's also always been exciting from like a lovable underdog standpoint. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, dating back to the Yukon years, why I love him so much. But like Westbrook's a brand, you know, Westbrook has the crazy outfits. Westbrook's someone you pay attention to both on and off the court. I, w- I would say diehard Charlotte, Charlotte fans would still rather have Kemba Walker for the next four years in Russell Westbrook. Oh, absolutely. I, I My uncle is a huge Hornets fan. He lives in Greensboro. He has like, uh, I think he gets like 20 games a year. It's like half season tickets. And he was saying that the Hornets were in such a terrible position where if they re-signed Kemba, their, their cap, you know, it was fucked. It was screwed. It was terrible. But if they didn't re-sign Kemba, literally half 
50% plus of their fan base has no reason to show up anymore because that's how much the fan base cared about Kemba. They have great fans. Mm -hmm. They do have really good fans. But like, if you go back to the pre Kemba days, I mean, those, the end of the Bobcats run was pretty horrendous, mm -hmm. uh, both from an on court standpoint and from a fan base standpoint. Uh, I mean, we're viewing a little off topic topic, but I'll, I'll add this one point that I, I feel like Kemba, if you weren't going to pay Kemba Walker not even close to the five-year max without the super max, like, why, would you, why wouldn't you just trade him then? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, he's, he's a top 20, 25 player in the league, and those are hard to come around. I'm sure the Lakers would have given you something at the trade deadline or some other, like, borderline playoff team or, or, or like, a middle-of-the-pack middle contender would have given you something for him. So that, from that standpoint, like, Charlotte fans have, like, a a huge a huge gripe with the franchise because they could have flipped him for something valuable or something or another like piece to rebuild but instead they're just left in this um mess frankly yeah and uh he ended up in boston and go figure that's going to be an interesting storyline to watch uh also another interesting thing with boston quick hit before um you know we're contractually obligated to talk about the Lakers like all media companies are um, sure <laughs> but uh one of my favorite moves of this entire offseason which has somehow flown incredibly under the radar Al Horford to Philly how do you think that changes Philly's outlook moving forward um I was actually thinking about the question um like which is the most like league passable team like what's the best team to watch night in and night out I thought last year was Philly, and I think again it is Philly because they have so much size. They have they have good defense. They have a, now a veteran presence in the lineup that's not going to implode. Um, right, like I think he's a better fit than Butler. It is, um, but the one standpoint that you have to look at it from is they had to renounce JJ Redick too. So they right. they essentially traded Jimmy Butler and JJ Redick for Josh Richardson and Horford, which I don't know if it. If it's just a lateral move, they are. But the lateral move could be enough because right, yeah. They, because the issue was was them was not talent; it was fit. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like it was it it makes sense. Um, I I if you're looking retrospectively now, it probably didn't make sense to trade for Jimmy Butler. Like Covington and Sarge would have probably been better fits, and you would have had more cap space. But oh yeah, absolutely. But I, I thought uh, the Butler trade sucked at the time. Yes, uh, but I think Philly is is a is a great um, is is a really interesting team because they have defense. They they've got Embiid. Simmons still doesn't really fit in, but at least you have jo Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris and and Hal Horford to sort of space the floor. I th I think they'll be a, they'll be the most intriguing team in the league this year because you simply don't know how all those pieces will mesh and how they can like fit in all that talent. To your point though, you said they were the most league passable team, but I feel like that definition usually comes for the smaller market teams because like, let's face it, Philly is getting all sorts of like nationally televised games, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree, but like the way I, I look at it is you have to be a team that's relatively young. You have to be a core that's like a little um, mixed up and it, it just has to be something that you want to, watch from a night in night out basis and they have a lot of potential so i feel like from those three metrics 
um, like they're 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 the most intriguing to see. Like, okay, how is this gonna fit night in and night out? Like, who's who's gonna play inside? Who's gonna play outside? How is Simmons gonna run run in transition? What's the balance between transit playing fast and slowing it down and giving it to Embiid? Because there is sort of this natural stylistic tension between um, Simmons and Embiid and even like Horford because now he's gonna be playing the four and and they're they're gonna be a really good defensive team, but they can also run in transition with um simmons and harris so it's it's gonna be really interesting uh i would say to watch them yeah i think they're one of the favorites in the east if not the favorite um of course the bucks and celtics are still up there but i mean in any event with all that talent moving west uh you're looking at the lakers right and i think we both kind of alluded to the fact that we think the clippers should be the favorite but hey the Clippers have the curse of that franchise. It goes beyond measure, and the Lakers are the golden team, pun intended. So how do you feel about superstar bench edition Alex Caruso? I love him. It's like it's like the next Steph Curry. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> there, there was this dunk on Twitter. He, he just like jumped up and alley hooped it, and I, they were playing it when he signed again, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> hey, he's 6'5". He's he's six five. He's really athletic. I I really like his game, and um, he looks like he's fifty, which fits right in with LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> I I I, th I think it's a, it's a good dynamic in the locker room just to have one of those guys. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, so the options for the Lakers, they had that like thirty two million, and either they were going to get that max guy or they were going to really fill out their bench because there was this point in time where they literally had five guys on their roster, and they really have filled it out. Um, there's a lot of debate, though. Did they, like, I've heard people say, this is, like, one of the best benches of all time, which I think that person's really drinking the the uh, purple and gold wine. But the other argument is it's just a lot of spare parts, just like last year, and it's all dependent on LeBron and Davis performing their potential. But, I mean, what do you think? I think I would compare this to the... Um you you remember that Cleveland team with Isaiah Thomas and Dwayne Wade and all these like big name guys and and it it suddenly just turned south for them like I, I view it as the same thing you have Rondo you have uh, Javale Demarcus Stevenson's still technically on the team Stevenson's technically on the team I don't believe they're going to resign him but they 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 filled out these roster this roster with a bunch of veterans who are not going to be good at defense the the difference is they have anthony davis and, right and that guy could turn in potentially to the best player in the league like, danny green's a great defender danny green's a great defender but like uh aside from that like lebron's on the wrong side of 30 you've got rondo who's also pretty old cousins who is it just an absolute question mark cousins jared dudley like you can just go down the list of players that they have and it's not going to be um very fun to watch them on defense unless davis can take it up to another level as like their rim protector and danny green can like still maintain that uh status as one of the best perimeter defenders but but uh, aside from that like they're they're going to be pretty bad they're going to be pretty mediocre um uh, as far as their overall outlook i still view them as right up there with the clippers from this standpoint because their stars are, have proven to be a little bit more durable than the Clippers. The Clippers, mm -hmm. overall, if they're healthy, they're 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 probably the favorites. But LeBron and Anthony Davis, like 
LeBron just has so much playoff experience, and Anthony Davis is like Anthony Davis. Like he's like one of the best players in the league. So like you have those two guys who, for the most part, have been pretty durable. LeBron had an injury last season. It's debatable whether that was from age and wear and tear, or whether that was from just just a freak accident. Um, and Anthony Davis, for the most part, has been has been pretty durable as well. But like I would say Kawhi. Kawhi, like if you compare that to Kawhi Leonard, like Kawhi Leonard's not a eighty game player anymore. Like I just don't see that happening anymore. Like, yeah, he's a sixty game player. He can play sixty games. Maybe if you do everything right, he can play in the low seventies. But like that's basically it. And then his game, like it, it it just deteriorated in in the playoffs. Like just progressively, you could see he was laboring on that leg and. And when there was a long rebound and the other team ran in transition, it, it wasn't like peak Kawhi that can, he can just, like, turn around and do a full sprint back and do a chase on block. Like, LeBron doesn't have that either, but but Kawhi, it, his quad just gets progressively worse. And you you if you're the Clippers, you, you would be concerned with him and Paul George because they have had such bad injuries in the past. Like, you, you have to wonder... Um, is it is this going to turn south really quickly? Yeah, that that's the thing. It's just like a time bomb that could either never go off or just explode in a second. Um, mm. it, it is just so funny looking down this list and just like the usual suspects. You got like Tyson Chandler and you got Jared Dudley and you got JaVale McGee and Rondo at this point. I love the Avery Bradley edition personally. Um, I think he fits in well. I don't know. He's, he's, he's not a good shooter, though, but I think he's good a perimeter defender. Right. And, I mean, we, you kind of went through all that without really alluding to... I, I agree, like, Anthony Davis is the X factor overall. But, I mean, who's to say... Cousins and Davis proved they could play well together, right? I mean, that was a experiment and a half in New Orleans, and it worked until Dave, uh, Cousins, unfortunately, went down with his injury. I don't think we ever see the same version of DeMarcus Cousins we ever saw, but I don't. Th I also simultaneously don't think we see finals slash playoffs DeMarcus Cousins like that we just saw. Like he was not healthy, and whether he can spend the summer and get healthy, maybe. And if he's eighty percent of the player he once was, I think that's a phenomenal deal and risk that they took. Um, especially the fact that he can shoot. Will he ever run the break anymore? I don't know. But the bully ball, the size that this team now possesses, it's gonna really going to be interesting. I, I think um, the most realistic positive out, outlook for DeMarcus Cousins is probably what we saw in Game 2 of the Finals where he was just a re great rebounding presence. He could he could uh, pass and he mm -hmm. could shoot mid-range mid jumpers. I don't think that post-game ever recovers. Like, like he, maybe he can he can uh, transition that into a three point shot, but I just don't see that strength coming anymore from his legs because he he tore his quad in the playoffs and and his, he tore his Achilles a year before. So it's I don't see those that strength coming back in his legs. I could be wrong, but I see him as more of like a a Al Horford who can't play defense. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's sad. I don't think we ever get that dynamic dribbling guy, huge, large man down the court leading the fast break. But, um, no, I think he might be the X factor. But uh, that's about all I got for NBA free agency. Anything else you want to throw in? No, that's all. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, no, that was that was the quick cover uh, right now. You can follow Kareem over here on Twitter at 23Kareem underscore N. 
Yeah, Spyro tweets, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he doesn't tweet. Okay, don't follow him, but thanks for coming on, Kareem. Thanks. That's it. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at ByNatGL. That's B-Y-N-A-T-E-G-L. You can follow the website at Unplugged at U-N-P-L-U-G-G underscore D and log on at up.powderbluemedia.com. Until next time, see ya. See ya.